Welcome to Real Estate Agent Superstars. I'm your host, RJ Baxter with Intercap Lending, and I am here today with Victoria McCaskill of Denver Homes. She's an independent broker here in the Denver area, and she's going to talk to us a bit about going independent, what that looks like, and we're going to talk, we're going to get into talking about the NAR ruling and how that, how she feels that's going to affect independent brokers. So welcome to the show, Victoria. Yeah, RJ, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so tell us a little bit more about yourself. What's your background? What, how, how long have you been doing real estate and what did you do before? Sure. Yeah, I've been a realtor now for almost 20 years, February 20 years. I started out in management consulting. Um, so way, way, way back, I was a management consultant and my husband at the time, um, well, at the, he's still my husband, at the time, my husband, and I started uh, fix and flipping homes. And I got my license through that process. So that was the genesis. Like very few people, I think, really aspire to be realtors will fall into it in some weird way. And that's sort of the path mm -hmm. that I took. Yeah. So I started, we started fixing flipping homes and quickly realized, you know, one of us should be become a, a broker if we're going to continue doing this and pursue this passion. And so um, that's how I sort of landed into it. Okay. Yeah. I think the same thing goes for lenders. No one aspires to be yeah. a lender, clearly. They just right. find it's, the business yeah. somehow. It's usually a conversation <laughs> stopper, not a conversation start, starter. People are like, I don't want to talk to you if you're in real estate. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so management consulting, how is, how is that translated into the real estate business? How has that helped serve you? Yeah, in, in a huge way, actually. Um, the first fix and flip my husband and I did was, was not very successful. It was a big, I would say, learning experience for us. We definitely gained a lot of knowledge, but we, we didn't have the best guidance. So when we purchased our first flip, we didn't. We were we were also really young, but um, the guidance we got from our realtor wasn't great. You know, it wasn't like this is where we think the comps are, and this is why where the margin is, or you know, there was very little help there. And so we made every rookie mistake that we could on that first flip, and then I left that experience feeling very disillusioned. I would say with the industry in general, and mm -hmm. I sort of felt like, well, if I could do this in a different way and bring a little bit of my consulting experience to help the consumer with their decisions, often the biggest decision they're ever going to make, the biggest investment they're ever going to make. Um, hopefully I can add value that way. And so, you know, my goal has always been to really educate the consumer and give them the tools and resources that they need to make the decision. I never want to be the one um, saying we should you should buy this house, right? I really want the consumer to be like, oh, we've seen so many comps. We know what this one sold for. We know what this one sold for. We we really have that dialed in and they have the confidence and the experience to be able to say, yep, I'm going to go ahead and do that. And that does require more input from the realtor. Like you're definitely going to show more homes. You're definitely going to spend a lot more time on mm -hmm. educating your clients. So your sales cycle might be a lot longer than typical. However, I think the value that you then bring to your client, and I think they walk away feeling like this was, they're in control of, of that entire process for sure. Yeah. I was going to say, it sounds like you, your approach, you really empower the client to yeah. have the information and knowledge they need to make those decisions. Absolutely. I feel like by the end of the process we've gone through together, they should know almost as much as I do. Like I really want them to feel like 
this is how we price. If I'm working with a seller, this is how we price and why. And here's all the kind we drill down into so much data. I think some some clients love it if they're very data driven and very analytical. Mm -hmm. They love it. Um, other clients can get frustrated sometimes because I'm so picky. I'm also very, very selective about what, you know, when we're looking at a home purchase, I might um, give them so much information based on, you know, what's going to affect resale and why this may not be the right, even though they love it, why this may not be the right house for you. And so um, mm -hmm. th that can be frustrating, but at the end of it, they appreciate it. They see the value I'm bringing in. Um, they, there's generally always like, oh, this was great that we didn't go with that one that we loved because of X, Y, Z. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think I really, you know, anytime I get a question from a client, if we're in a process that to me is like a signal, like, oh, there's something I haven't educated mm -hmm. them about. Or, you know, if, if we've been working together for a couple of months, I'll be like, oh, what did I miss here? And so that's how I'm constantly refining and retuning my process to, try and bring value to the client to be like, okay, how can I improve that for the next client? And how can I make sure that that doesn't come up as like an unknown or question or something that they're uncertain about, um, you know, and then for the next client. So. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like you've really brought that, that business side of things over to real estate. So that's really awesome. Yeah. Did you, yeah. So, so how long ago was this that you were doing the flips and made the decision to become a real? Yeah. So I, Got licensed. I was licensed in 2004, but we started flipping in 2001. So I spent a good amount of time before I got my license really researching and deciding, like, is this really what I want to pursue and how will I make it different and how will I make that experience different for the consumer? Um, and so, yeah, so back in 2001 was our first flip and we took a break because that first one was really rough. And then subsequently, my husband and I still, um, it, he more than I do occasional flips or new builds or something like that. So, but the consultant, I would also say that experience having worked in consulting also helped fine tune the processes I have on the back end to be more efficient in how I run my business. So it's not just the consumer interaction, but it's also the processes that I have in place to, you know, get that transaction through, through the pipeline and into closing and making that as efficient as possible. So like when I first started out, I built my own, you know, um, CRM versus outsourcing it and customizing that so exactly into like, how exactly do I want this to run and, and keep me on track and my reminders, my client reminders and things like that. Um, and that was, you know, so that, that has also helped me, I think, as far as just being able to juggle all the things we juggle as realtors. Um, having those processes and systems in place that I think are so vital to making sure we're successful. Because I think generally we can, it's hard to be great at everything. It's hard to be a great people person and a great business administrator and a great marketer and a great accountant. And we have to do all of that when you're, when you're running your own business. So having those systems in place and being able to streamline all those processes, I think are so, is, is vital. You know, especially if you're going to be an independent, you don't have that um, some you don't have a transaction manager or somebody who's checking your file or making sure everything's complete. Mm. So you really have to take on those responsibilities yourself and streamline that. So tell me a little bit more about your processes. What what kinds of things have you put into place to streamline things? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's so rote at this point because it's been so long. <laughs> I've been doing it so long, I should say. 
But um, it's just really about every single day checking in. So I'll have like automatic reminders of things that need to go out. Um, so I, I actually start now planning for 2024. So I put my marketing plan will be in place by January 1st. And I'll have all the events that I need to um, be marketing and when those mailers need to go out and when I need to be touching my database. And all that will be in place already come January 1st. So it's sort of mm -hmm. the blueprint is there. Um, all I'm doing is checking that blue, blueprint like once a month and say, oh, okay, this month I got to get that out. I'm going to do it. And then as we have so many amazing technological tools now that we didn't have 20 years ago, like when you look at mm -hmm. um, just at marketing, things like Canva or Fiverr or all these incredible resources where we can put together a, a marketing piece now in about 15 minutes, whereas before we'd have to outsource it to a graphic designer and, you know, it would take mm -hmm. like a week for that turnaround. And um, so I do a lot of, a lot of my, marketing and prospecting is more passive. I'm not a terribly, um, I'm not, I'm not great with um, sort of interacting with large groups of people at the same time. So I'm a much more passive marketer that tends to be my comfort zone, but we have things like um, every door direct mail, which you can, you can design and upload and send out a postcard to, you know, 3000 people within minutes, like really within an hour, you'll have that, that task done. And so it's, all about learning and capitalizing on these technological resources that are available to us. Um, and that makes going independent so much easier as well. When you look at um, showing service management, now you can just, you know, hire showing time or broker bay, you know, back 20 years ago, you'd have to go through, call each brokerage office and schedule those showings. Mm -hmm. And that's just such an incredibly streamlined process. Yeah. Um, so it takes all the mystery out of it as far as even our contract software. All of that is just so streamlined and so incredibly easy to implement as an independent broker. So when you look at it, like everything is at your disposal if you want it. It's right there. And it might just take a little bit of training to get on board and figure that out. But once you have those processes and once you have those you know, you know what your resources are to use. It's, it's, it's just sort of like plug in and go. So it's, it's super easy. Yeah. I yes. and, it, and it sounds like you became independent before a lot of this stuff was available. Yeah. So, yes. You know, back, back then, was it more daunting than someone might come across today? And by the way, I, I thought I'd mention your company name, Denver Homes. Kudos to you for grabbing that. And it's shocking Thank you. even back in whatever yes. year it was that it was available. Yes. I'm so shocked and pleasantly surprised that I was able to secure that name. So, um, yeah. yeah, I went, I became an independent in 2009. So we had started to see some of those options, but it was a little bit more daunting for sure. There wasn't as, as many streamlined sort of technological opportunities for brokers. So it was still a little clunky. Um, so it did take a little bit more bandwidth, a little bit more overhead, a little bit more due diligence. Um, whereas now today, I, I, I would say the barriers are so low for anybody who wants to become an independent. I think a lot of people are nervous or scared about even things such as um, compliance and you know making sure their files are compliant or, um, you know, I think that's one I hear a lot or a lot of people are also nervous about lead generation. And I think, you know, for the most part, my philosophy, even from day one was if I'm reliant on a 
second or third source for leads. It's not coming from me. I'm not generating these leads. That source could dry up. So you're putting your business at risk anyway. If your if your hesitation is, I'm not going to have enough leads because there's no guarantee that that lead source will be there indefinitely. So it's always been a philosophy of mine that you know just go out there. You've really got to just rely on yourself to procure those leads and. Um, so I think, yeah, I think a lot of people are nervous about isolation, like, oh, I'm, I won't have anyone to bounce ideas off. Um, what if I have a question about X, Y, Z or either compliance or a legal question? And I think what a lot of brokers don't know is, um, you know, you have access to CARS legal hotline, which is manned by attorneys. So at oh. any point, if you have a question, a contract question, you have, a, you know, some sort of issue that you're having with with somebody on the other side you can always call that legal hotline and they will guide you based on what what our you know what our specific situation is or what compliance is so there's you know you're 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 isolated and as much as you want to be so it's always about like anything being able to network with your sphere of realtors that you feel you align with and being able to discuss issues you might have concerns with. Um, so I, I never truly feel um, alone or, or cut off or uneducated because there's, you just keep those discussions going, um, which I think is very important. And I've also sort of felt like a lot of people are like, Oh, I'll miss the office. I'm going to miss that environment, which is true. But I've always felt like, well, if you're in the office, you're not out with clients, you're not out prospecting, then you need to change, you need to shake it up a little bit. You know, it's not, mm -hmm. I hope I'm not in the office. Too much time in the office is not a good thing. So for me, right. um, I always encourage people who, are, who talk about it or, or quit or, you know, ask me about going independent. I always encourage them. I think um, if, if the desire is there and you have that uh, those systems in place that you can rely on and you're comfortable with, and then you have a network and a community that you can reach out to. If you have any questions, then I think you're going to be just fine. Okay. So if someone's listening to this and they're thinking about going independent, it might seem still, even though you're, you say it's not too bad, it might seem daunting. So what would someone thinking about this, what would be the first couple of steps they might want to take to figuring out how to go independent and what they need to do? Yeah, great question. So the first thing is to just get your education in place. So you just, you do need a different brokerage designation in order to go independent. So that, those, you know, that continuing ed hours, I'm not sure today how many hours it is or how long it is. I do think that will become more difficult and more time consuming over time, they're adding more requirements. So it would be good if it's something you're thinking about to look at that, what, what designations you need. So I'd start there as, as we all learned in real estate school, what you'll learn in that designated class is not really going to help you like in the practical application right. of what you're doing. So next thing I would just reach out to other independent brokers and have conversations about what works and what they love and what they don't love. So you have a really, really good idea of what you're getting into. And then I would also just assess, take a, take a sort of journal, if you will, of how you're spending your time in a week. How much time are you in the office and how much time are you relying on the resources mm -hmm. at your office? And what are the resources that you rely on the most? And then figuring out what are the things you can do without and what are the things you absolutely have to have? And so if you're looking at that list, how do you fill that gap as an independent versus being um, under a brokerage? And I think it's 
it's sort of, you know, answering those questions and, and putting those sort of figuring out those fears. I think that's the biggest one. And once you can answer those, and I think it's pretty easy to jump in. Um, once you have an answer and a solution and a business plan, I think that's really important too. So, you know, putting together your business plan and, you know, where are you going to work and how are you going to work and, um, what, but I think most people, once they, you know, most agents are working from home today. So when you look at it, it's, it's, you know, some still go in and they get that. Um, and some people need that. Like, so if you're somebody who just is like, I really need to connect with other people. I'm an extrovert. I really, really, really need that training time or that time with other peers in the office that will motivate me, then it might not be the right thing for you. But if you're, if you're finding, wow, I'm, I, that's not where I'm filling my bucket. That's not what's motivating me to succeed. Then um, it may be time to, you know, think about just, I think, furthering conversations with other, with other independent brokers. I think that'll be very helpful as well and just see what works for them and what doesn't. And then figuring out what, what you think you might miss. <laughs> I think that's important. Yeah. 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 That, that does sound key. Cause I could see where if you don't have a plan in place, you could become isolated, like you said, yes. or, or you or, or yes. kind of jump in and then all of a sudden yes. it's a month later and you're thinking, yeah. what am I doing? Yeah. And there are groups out there, like there's the Denver independent broker um, group. There's different groups that actually get together and provide opportunities for independent brokers to connect with each other. And mm -hmm. so I know a lot of other independent brokers and, um, you know, we support each other. It's not, it's not as, I would say adversarial or, you know, as one would expect, like, I think everybody is really there to support each other. We understand like, oh, we're in this unique boat together. And yeah, if you have a question about this, call me. If I have a question about this, I'll call you. So, and these are very, very experienced agents. I mean, you have to have, um, you know, being supervised for two years at a minimum before becoming an independent broker. But I think most independent brokers probably have upwards of 10 or more years of experience before they're going out. Um, sure. you know, and, and, and so you're dealing with a great group of people who are just super, super experienced, supportive of each other. So there's, there's definitely resources out there once you go independent and, and, and most brokers have their friends from their post brokerage firms anyway, that they'll, you know, be in contact with. I do too. I still have people that I worked with 20 years ago where I started and subsequently that, you know, I can reach out to and talk to. So. We're very social creatures in general, so I think we'll, you know, right. I think that'll that'll help. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've, I mean, you've obviously had a lot of success as an independent broker and as an agent in general. Um, what habits have you uh, maintained that have helped you become successful like this? You know, it, it's a great question. I think it's all about understanding and framing. What's the most important thing in your business? And your the most important thing in your business is your client relationship, like hands down. That's it. Mm -hmm. Without a client relationship, without a base of clients that respect and trust you and refer you out, um, it'll it's just really hard to succeed in this industry. So the core value really is just cherishing and valuing and maintaining and nurturing my client relations. And just making sure I'm always doing the right thing for that client, no matter what, like you just, it's, it's just so imperative that that's just the number one value system is, you know, always working with the client in mind always. And so that, if that's your daily guide, it's pretty easy after that. It really, really is. It's just about 
making sure their needs are met, reaching out to them, being a resource for them. I think a lot of people are very transaction oriented and it's like, well, the transaction's done, that's mm -hmm. over. And, um, and I, in, in some, in some ways it does feel that way because I'm, you spend so much time with your clients when you're, when you're in that transaction and there is this little bit of a void when, when the transaction closes and you kind of miss them and you miss that communication because you can't maintain that, you know, indefinitely. But, um, but I think it's so important to keep in touch with your clients. So follow up, follow up, follow up, adding services and value beyond just the just the contract beyond just the transaction. So making sure that you're, I'm always doing some sort of event or some value add that the client might enjoy, whether it be like a dumpster party or a shredding event or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. um, so that I can keep in touch with them and check in with them and they can check in with me. And I think that's so important. So once, once that, you know, and I think like without, you know, we are in the business of selling real estate, but more importantly, we're in the business of prospecting because without clients, we don't have transactions. So it's really, I think a lot of realtors need to change their mindset about this is transaction-based. It's actually relationship-based. You really, really need to have a pipeline to sell something. And if you don't have a pipeline, that's sort of meaningless. So um, I think that's just been such a huge help for me on what to focus on. I think Oftentimes people are focusing on, you know, a lot of distractions. There's just a lot of distractions in our industry right now, whether it be social media posting, which is great, but those might be cold, you know, very cold leads that you're going to have to work very hard to convert with a lot of competition versus mm -hmm. focusing on the relationships that you already have and then can hopefully, you know, they'll, they'll keep you in mind. So being top of mind within your existing client base, I think is so important. So absolutely. that's absolutely like the number one fundamental, like, you know, that's it. <laughs> the value system. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I, I talked to a lot of top agents on this podcast and then outside of the podcast, and that's an ongoing theme amongst the best people. Um, it's very rare that I meet a top agent that is not focused on their sphere and on deepening relationships. Um, very, very, very rare to find one that's, leads based or transaction based. Yeah. So sure. I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Um, one of my mentors said to me recently, he said he was having a debate with an insurance agent and the insurance agent was kind of giving him crap about the fact that he has residual income his whole life because he has built this client base. And he said, well, I have residual income too. It's my past client database. So right. the same thing, you just have to Right. Cultivate those relationships. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, um, well, that's really awesome. So I, I really want to get into your perspective on this NAR ruling. I mean, that's a huge thing in the industry yeah. right now. And yeah. I haven't had a chance to talk to anyone on the independent side about yeah. how you all think it could affect you on as independents. Yeah. So give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, it, it it's definitely one thing I'll say that I value so much about being an independent broker is you have a lot more flexibility and fluidity. And so, mm -hmm. and that's partly why I became independent as well. I, I became an in, independent broker just after the 08 housing crash to be more flexible and fluid with my clients, especially around pricing. Um, so I think there are changes definitely coming to the industry. We don't know when or how they're going to look. But I think what 
what I see happening in our industry as a whole is there are so many middlemen within our industry, whether it be a lead generation company, whether it be a brokerage you're paying a split to. There's just so many people in the middle between the client and the broker. So people, I think the consumer thinks like, oh, well, this realtor is making so much money. But if they actually saw how much of that money is either going to, you know, somebody who's provided the lead or referral or to the brokerage or overhead, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that becomes surprising. Like, oh, realtors really aren't making this huge, you know, whatever it is that the consumer thinks is happening. And so with the potential changes that could come in however many years, I think um, realtors are going to have a tough choice to make. Like, okay, if, if it, if it comes down to the, to the, to the bare bones will be like, buyers will need to pay, pay their brokers. Then we're in a free market where that rate will be determined by what buyers are willing to pay. And then it's going to be up to the broker to determine whoa, does that make sense for my business model? If you have a lot of middlemen in your business model, it may not make sense for many brokers to be working with buyers. Because if the buyers are going to, I think I read recently that the state of New York has already stated or implemented a change where that's sort of like what the model is going to look like. Mm -hmm. And so if that's the case, it's going to be based on free market. And you know, I, I could see a lot of things happening. Either brokers may just become listing specialists and then people who are left, you know, the newer agents will be working with buyers. They may be more willing and more able and more mm-hmm. um, inclined to work with buyers. If depending on how those fee structures, will it be a flat fee structure? Will it be a per showing um, fee? Will it be a a la carte service? Like, oh, you get paid this for showing and this for contract negotiation and this for inspection. So we just don't know how it's going to look or if it's even going to change that dramatically. But I think being an independent broker will provide any realtor or any agent the uh, flexibility to be more malleable in whatever that environment will be. Because I think if it does become more of a free market, I think we could see prices come down. We could see potentially um, the market will determine what our value is. And it's going to be more important than ever for brokers to prove their value. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. imperative that brokers have that conversation now. This is what I bring to the table. These are the things I do. This is the value that I'm adding. Because if we're not doing that, um, consumers won't be willing to pay for our services. I think a lot of consumers already feel like we're just opening doors. and that's. So far from the truth, but it's a matter of educating the consumer as to why we bring value to the table. So I think as an independent broker, it might just, I I think there'll just be more flexibility with whatever changes will be coming. And that's, I think, why why I went independent is the flexibility provided and the fluidity and being able to move quickly and change quickly to whatever your environment is changing to. And we just don't know yet how that will look. Yeah, we just... It's, you know, I've talked to many brokers about it. Some feel like, oh, the end is here. Others feel like nothing's going to change. So so there's such a wide, you know, gamut of opinions about what's going to happen here. But um, I think fluidity, flexibility, and being able to adapt just, you know, in any environment is going to be imperative for sure. That's that's a great perspective because I didn't think of it that way that as an independent, you'd be more flexible so that that makes sense. It might actually be yeah. something that you can 
weather easier than the big agencies. Yeah. Um, Again, it's that it's not, it's just the way our, our, our business has evolved so much is just mm -hmm. everybody's sort of taking a piece of the pie and, and that that's inevitable. That will change. It just has to. Mm -hmm. And so with those changes, it's just going to be a matter of like, okay, what can I give up? What can I not give up? How flexible can it be? Um, and I think it will come down to, we, we just don't know how it will look, but I think flexibility, like in any adaptation of our species, right? That's so crucial when you look at evolution. It's all about adaptation and it's no different within this industry. You just have to be able to adapt very quickly. So I think that'll be crucial. Yeah. 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 Totally. And, you know, the thing is, too, it seems like with a lot of these changes we've seen, both on the real estate and lending side, sometimes these things, it's made out to be a big deal. And then once it happens and the dust settles, it's a nothing burger. And right. it's really not a, not a real big deal. And people right. do adapt. Right. Um, like when we changed from the HUD to the GFE, all those TRID changes and all that with lending, people were up in arms and it was a big deal. And then a month after it happened, it was no big deal. Right. Yeah. I think I, I'm of the opinion that it, it won't be a quick change, but there's definitely going to be a change of some sort for sure. I just feel like the consumer doesn't, is sort of up to, you know, they're, they're puzzled. They're puzzled. Like, you know, when you look at what it costs now to sell a home um, and what value we're bringing, I think as realtors or agents, we need to do an exceptional job of showing that value because the consumer on a whole is not seeing it. Like if you go out and speak to consumers and I, I get this feedback frequently from people I don't know who are calling on a sign call or, you know, something like that. They just don't see the value of what we do. And I think we really mm. have to have to educate um, our clients and not only educate, but show and how do we add value and what is our unique value proposition and how are we different and why mm -hmm. is this important? Um, and I think we're, you know, it's, and it's easy to have gotten complacent. I think we've had some, you know, Denver's been a strong growth market since 2012. So it's sort of mm -hmm. easy to get a little complacent. And I think we all have to kind of just take a reassessment and be like, okay, whoa, hang on, you know, things yeah. we're going into a new climate now and we really need to, you know, we really need to be concise with our, with our clients and, and, and show and prove how we, how we do what we do and why and, and, and what our value is for sure. So how do you show your value to your, to your clients? And then how do you communicate that to them? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it goes back again to that consultative nature of education. Mm -hmm. Like there, if you go in and you say, if you're on a listing appointment and you're like, yep, we should list for this, but you have no data to show why or no information to help the consumer understand why you're making that recommendation, that's sort of mm -hmm. meaningless for the consumer. So when I'm sitting down on a listing presentation, I'm going through the data with them real time. I'm not just presenting a CMA. Here's this, because now you can just generate a CMA. Again, these, these tools online, you can generate a CMA in five minutes with very little input yeah. from the broker, right? 
So I will sit down with the seller and I will bring the data up on my computer and say, let's go through it. Let's pretend we're appraisers. We're going to put on an appraiser hat because the home probably will need to appraise if there is a loan involved. So let's just take a look at the market as an appraiser would. And then I educate them as to what the constraints an appraiser has to assess value. We're going to use those exact same constraints and we're going to pull those comps together look at all the photos together. So this price recommendation, which could be like a one sentence from, hey, we should list at X, will be a 90 minute conversation as to why we're listing at X. And once the consumer can see that and see the work that goes in, as well as the expertise you're bringing to the table, you have to be able to shed some light on, oh, I saw that house. Although it's priced by, for this, actually, mm. this is something you can't see online. A lot of things that consumers don't see online are concessions. That's a big one too. Zillow doesn't show you on a sole price how many, what the concessions are. And we're seeing tons of concessions in the market today. So once you go through and you actually go through and look at all the variables, they're going to walk away from that conversation and be like, wow, like it's not just a matter of a 10 minute CMA. It's all the experience and expertise that goes in from seeing those homes personally or having toured them and being able to make the adjustments and the assessments based on my, you know, firsthand experience versus just a computer generating a number. Um, and so once the mm -hmm. consumer can see that value that I'm bringing to the table, then they're like, whoa, yeah, that totally makes sense. Like why a lot of consumers also get caught up in the, the zestimate, right? And um, that's always a constant battle for realtors and appraisers, I'm sure, like of, you know, the zestimate says, and then you really have to be able to go in and say, well, this house had da, 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 or whatever it may be, but you need that firsthand experience, that firsthand information. And sometimes it might take, you know, for us as, Realtors, you may have to go tour your actives and come in and say, you know, we're going to price against actives and I've been through all these actives and here's where mm. you're the same and here's where you're different. Mm. Because looking at photos online, as we all know, um, they can be very deceptive, <laughs> like incredibly deceptive. So what you see online right, right. on paper and then you go in and tour it on person, you're like, oh, this is totally different. And so once the consumer can see how much work actually goes in to, you know, creating a and a recommendation on price, I think that's huge. Mm -hmm. And that's not just for a seller, that's true for a buyer. Hopefully by the time a buyer submits a, an offer on something, we have seen comparables that have already closed. So my cycle with the buyer may last three, four, as long as 18 months if it needs to, so that that, that buyer will know, oh, I remember that one. Yes, that what was weird about that one, or that's what made that one more valuable. And so when they're thinking about price, they're thinking about it from a, like, not just looking at some photos online, they're thinking about it, like, I've been through that comp, and I know, you know, why this one is worth this or not. And I think mm -hmm. once they can see how much work we go, we do, and how much value we bring to them, the consumer gets, they get it right away. They're like, oh, man, this is like, this is a lot. This is not a wealth of knowledge and experience that a computer can't really replicate, but you have to show that to them. So, yeah. 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 Man, that's, that's really powerful. I mean, I can see how, you know, especially buyers or sellers that are curious and, you know, want to really have that knowledge, how, you know, going back to the beginning of the episode, how empowering that is for people to really have ownership of that and to yep. understand what's going on and what's behind the number. Yep. Um, 
And it's never, it's never perfect. I will say there's, there's always, you you run into the home that there just aren't any carnival. It's just so unique or, you know, you, you, there are, it's never perfect, but I think in general, 80% of the time, you know, that's, that consumer is going to feel like, yeah, like I'm in control of this decision of what the price will be, or I'm in control of what price I'm going to offer and why. And that's mm-hmm. so important versus, hey, guys, you just need to offer blah. <laughs> and I think then right. that, especially for um, if someone new to the market or a first time buyer or an inexperienced purchaser like or seller, that's not reassuring at all. You know, that doesn't make them feel like they're in great hands. So you really need to show, you know, your value. Yep. Well, you're bringing them into it with you instead mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. just dictating to them how it's going to be. Exactly. So, thousand percent. Yeah. I want it to be their yeah. choice. I want, I want them to, as I said in the beginning, I want them to feel like they have as much information as I have when they're making that decision. They are mm-hmm. almost as experienced and have as much data that I'm going to be, have access to. They've already, they've already seen that data. They have access to it. They get it. And they understand the process. It's not even the data. They understand, oh, there'll be an adjustment for this. There'll be X, you know, they really understand what affects value. And then they, they feel, I think, confident in their decision-making, which I think is really important. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, it just seems like you have such a well-oiled machine that you've put together over the years. And it's just, it's really impressive to, to hear the kinds of things that you're doing. But if you were to rewind 20 years and go back and tell yourself the first day you were going into real estate, this is what you should do, what would you tell yourself? Uh, great question. Um, I think the thing that did not go well, it, as we all know, is that it's all consuming. Like real estate can be, a lot of people who ask me, people are like, Oh, I want to become a realtor. And I have to be very careful. I have to be like, this is not a job. It's not even a career. It's a lifestyle. It is literally something that in order to serve your client, while you have to be okay, that you're going to miss your son's recital, or you're going to leave your husband to cook dinner for people coming over because there's some emergency that's going on. It really is. It can become, as we all know, especially if you're very, if you're very client centric, you're very relationship oriented, you can at times put other things on hold or um, you you might make compromises in your own family life that you wouldn't ordinarily because it's more of this, it sort of integrates into your lifestyle. It's definitely not a job. Mm-hmm. Had I gone back um, when I started, I think, and we all struggle with, everybody struggles with this is work-life balance. I think, I think if somebody just said, Victoria, make sure that you definitely take even if it's half a day and don't look at your phone, that's going to fill your bucket for the next week because you can't put your head down and just get so wrapped up in it and look up and it's like, wow, five years have passed. I mean, that's sometimes how it feels to me. And I've loved those five years. I have no regrets. I love what I do. I'm very passionate about what I do, but it can become all consuming. So I think I've gotten better now after 20 years, I've finally sort of been able to put some 
sort of barriers in place and say, okay, this is me time, or I just need to take this time with my family or whatever it may be. Um, but it can become all consuming. And I think it's because, you know, if you are, it's, it's just such a fun career. And that's why I say it's really not a career. I always tell people, this is not a career. It's not a job. It is a lifestyle because you will be, you know, you need to be available and you need to be accessible. And if your client's calling at 11 PM, because they're anxious about the closing tomorrow, you need to pick up that phone call and talk with them and make sure, are, is this the right choice for them? Or is there a legitimate concern here? Should we be exploring that? And, you know, if it's 11 PM, it's 11 PM, you, you need to be there for a client. So, um, mm -hmm. so I think there, you know, some people I know do a fantastic job of putting these barriers in place and just educating their client in that regard and saying, Hey, I don't work past six and that's it. And that's one thing I definitely don't do. And, um, but I think that's the one thing I probably would have done a little bit differently 20 years mm -hmm. ago. Um, I will share with you the best piece of advice I ever got when I started out. I remember I was interviewing, I'd just gotten my license and I was interviewing um, at one of the brokerages and um, the the managing um, partner or, you know, the, the managing broker um, said to me, what is your exit strategy? And I was sort of like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, what do you, how, what are you going to do when it's over? And I, you know, I was like 24 and I'm like, I'm just starting. I have no idea what he's talking about. What does he mean? Yeah. And he was over. like, what, when it's over. And he was like, um, and the advice he gave me was, you know, you have such a remarkable opportunity when you work in real estate to find, um, investments for yourself or passive income or ways to build your own portfolio. And, you know, he's like, you really need to be thinking here because we don't, we don't have a 401k. We don't have benefits as we all know, you know, these are things that we have to sort of provide for ourselves. And so his best advice was just think of your exit plan. Don't just think of your entry plan. Think about like, how will you retire? You know, what, are, what are you going to do? And I, I was still like at the time confused. I'm like, man, I just got here to like, I haven't even started working as a broker yet. But this right. was from a very, very experienced um, managing broker who I think did a great job. Actually, I'm very grateful for what he told me. And I'm grateful that he gave me, made me stop to think part of your business plan also needs to be your exit, right? What is your exit strategy? And um mm -hmm. You know, we, we work in a very unique field and we have to plan those things. And I think a lot of times we are a lot of the majority of realtors are just kind of living transaction to transaction and not thinking mm. about, OK, yeah, how do I retire and what, how, you know, what do I do? And so I think, um, you know, going back 20 years, I think that was a great piece of advice that, you know, any any person entering the field should definitely be thinking about as well, even before they start. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Going, going back to the turning off the phone for half a day thing yes. <laughs> or not looking at it. There's probably people listening to that and panicking, thinking about that, <laughs> thinking about the prospect of that. Yeah. Have you lost business that way or is it where you put the right boundaries in place with your clients or how do you? Yeah. It? It's still a work in progress. I think what I try to do is um, have a day and I just try to not schedule anything that day. It's a lot easier now. I kind of joke that we're all in semi-retirement because the market has slowed down so much. So I'd say it's a lot easier to implement that now um, than what it was, say, two years ago when it was just nonstop. Um, but without doing that, I think we reach a, a stage of burnout. And I've been there probably 
two or three times in my career where it has just been really hard to self-motivate and say, okay, mm. I'm going to, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And this thing that I love so much, I'm starting to resent. And that to me is a worse risk than say losing a client is potentially losing your whole business because you hit burnout and just don't have the motivation to go on, or you just feel so incredibly, you know, just so done. So that's a scarier point for me to get to. And I've been on the precipice of those points a few times in my career where I have reached the saturation point of like, oh man, I just... This is just all the fun, all the joy, all the things I love about it. I'm just not experiencing that right now because I'm just so burnt out. And then you're not servicing your clients as you should, and you're not 100% present. And that's, you know, that's bad. It's just bad for everybody. Nobody wants that situation. So I think, um, yeah, it, it, it is, it does, it is a little bit scary to do that, but I mean, I have to remind myself, I'm, I'm not an open heart surgeon. This is not life or death. If I walk away for four hours, um, it will right. be okay. It really will. It's it's going to work mm-hmm. out okay. If I if I don't get that call from the if I don't respond to somebody looking for a realtor in time and it goes to somebody else, it does. You know, that's just part of my model now. Like it's a bummer, but you know, most people don't even leave messages now, so I probably won't know. <laughs> It's okay, you know, but I, but I won't know what hurt me. So, um, but I think, I think burnout is a very, very real thing in our industry. And um, you can do, you can do so much more with less when your bucket is filled, when you are running on empty, um, you're just, you're just chasing your tail at times. So yeah. 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 Yeah, Great points. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on Victoria. I really appreciate it. I know you're super busy. No, not um, really. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, if people want to want to contact, I mean, not contact you, but um, follow you or um, reach out, is it what's the best way? To, are you cool with people getting in touch with you? Yeah, of course. I mean, if anybody out there has questions about being an independent broker um, or wants to grab coffee and talk about that process, I would be more than happy to sit down with them and answer any questions they have. Um, you know, they can email me or phone me or, you know, whatever's convenient. I'll be happy to, to sit down with them. Yeah, for sure. Okay, great. Well, I'll put your info in the show notes for everybody if they want to reach out, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, so. Yeah. And, and thanks again for being on. I definitely appreciate it. And once again, Victoria McCaskill with Denver Homes, awesome agent. We really appreciate her time. My name is RJ Baxter with Intercap Lending. Please share the show if you enjoyed this. That's how the word gets out. And you all have a great rest of your day. Thanks a lot. Thank you.